0: You got to have faith. Faith, no. You got to have faith. Now, faith, because the theme that we've been talking about in the book of Romans, the theme through Romans is grace, 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 grace. I mean, this will be a little redundant, my teachings. You know, as we go through the through the book of Romans, but I thought that would be kind of boring every week. The t- title of this teaching is "Grace Again" this week, next week, and it'll be "Grace Again" next week and "Grace." But that's basically what Romans looks like. If you if you read the book of Romans, it kind of looks like it's probably the most redundant book of the Bible. I think you know it's just my opinion. I can't document that, but um, I think it's it's exciting that the thing that God's the most redundant about is grace. Um, And again, I think about why is that? Why would God repeat the theme of grace so often? Because it doesn't make sense. (laughs) It's the opposite of everything else that we see in life and in the world. And also because we desperately need to see it and believe it for our lives to be set free. And yet, it's so hard to wrap our, our minds around. Now, grace, and specifically... Grace is in contrast to fill in the blank. The law or works. Right. The law or works. So grace law. Also, they contrast works when it talks about works to faith. That and so that's kind of what we're gonna be focusing on tonight. That's why I said that the, the name of the teaching is you got to have faith. Because there's also a contrast of works versus faith. So if you think about it, why would, why would it be that there's works on one side, faith on the other? What's the difference? Yeah. You, Grace, I mean, I'm sorry. Faith is not works. Faith is not works. So what, is, what, is, what does faith do versus where, where do you look when you have faith? God, where do you look when you do works? Self. Yourself. Yeah. Talk about a big contrast, right? <laughs> so you can see why there's incredible freedom in faith, because faith is all about trusting not you but God. It orients things where you're, you're looking, you're trust, because faith means trust. But specifically, it's not just any old trust, you know, because you could say, I trust in myself. But it's not. Faith is specifically trusting God. So we're going to look at that tonight, and we're going to talk in this record, in Romans, because back, and again, it's. Um, I did say that the, the seven love letters to the church are all written to the church, and they're d- written and addressed to us. But we do, I, I felt like maybe I should be a little bit clearer in the fact that we still have to look at them in light of, the people of those times that they were written to, in the circumstances of those times, so it's a little different. I, I, as I was thinking about it, I thought, "Oh, maybe that's not a clear way to explain it." As far as that, um, because you still have to look at the book in light of uh, the people of those times. Well, what was going on is that Abraham. Everybody was really proud that the um, the Jews were very proud of being um, descendants of Abraham, and In this chapter, it calls Abraham the father of faith. And it says that Abraham is not just the father of the Jews, but the father of everyone who believes. And so that was a little shocking back then, because at the time, remember, everybody was talking about being really proud of circumcision. There was a lot of arrogance about, hey, we're circumcised, you know? Now, that might sound like a little weird thing to be so proud about. You're like, who cares? Really? You're proud of that? But there was a lot of, strangely, superiority and arrogance about, you know, we are Israel, we're circumcised, and the Gentiles, those other nasty people aren't, um, that worship all the other gods. So in this, we're going to look at um, Romans 4 and talk about the faith of Abraham. And if you look in verse 1, it says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Because again, if you think about it, the Apostle Paul and the people that were reading this um, were both Jews and Gentiles that became Christians. But the Jews were really having a hard time thinking that Gentiles could become Christians because um, they were such lowly people. And uh, Romans 1 uh, it says that Abraham... Our forefather discovered in this matter, in fact, Abraham was justified, I'm sorry, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Because they were kind of acting like Abraham, the reason they were proud of Abraham is that he was righteous by his works. And specifically, they were making a big deal about circumcision. You know what's weird is that was never what God was saying in the Old Testament. So they wound up turning things around. Um, It said, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Believing and faith are the same thing. Uh, one's just a verb, one's a noun. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now then, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift. So if you, if you go to work, how would that feel? You, you go to work and you get your paycheck and your boss says, I got you a present. You're going to love it. You know, I just, out of the generosity of my heart, wrap it up in a little bow, present it to you as a gift, and expect you to get excited about it. That would be annoying. Yes, I think it would be annoying. (laughs) It's... it's. This has got... I think this is funny, this verse. You know, it really is. It's just sort of like, if you work for it, it's not a gift. So... isn't that ridiculous? How how much do we struggle with that concept when it comes to the things of God? A lot of times people say, how many times do people say, yeah, I see Christians all the time that say, yes, salvation is a free gift. But I'm tired, uh, you know, you have to do this, 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 and this. And, of course, if you mess up, then you backslide, and then we God takes it back. And I'm like, well, where's the free gift in that? Uh, you know? That's, that's what this verse is saying. It's ridiculous. If you have works in there at all, it is not a gift anymore. You are earning it. There's earning and there's gift. Okay. Just like, I mean, sometimes we've had that, right? People give us gifts and there's strings attached and there's payment. and It's like, what kind of gift is this? It says, it's not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, To the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, well, by his faith, his, oh, I'm sorry, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So faith is the opposite of works. It says it's faith, it's the faith that comes by righteousness is what we're looking at. And then let's go down to verse 9, actually. So is this blessedness, you know, the the righteousness by faith only for the circumcised cuz that's kind of what the Jews were saying at that time you know they they were doing the yes but yes jesus is a free gift to only us that have had our penises circumcised you know it's just like seriously <laughs> they were like there's really not half of those other people <laughs> so it's like um uh It says, is is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. His faith was credited, not his works. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was was it after he was circumcised or before? When did the righteousness come to Abraham, they're saying? Was he first circumcised and then God says, oops, you're righteous, come on in no it's saying uh, it was 14 years later that after after gods called abraham righteous that he was circumcised the circumcision they had totally twisted around the circumcision to be that that was the way that you earned your way into god how many times do um do people do that with uh, with christianity even today you know let's see um It was not after, but before, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. Now, of course, at this time, people were going, oh, no, 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 not our dear Abraham. He can't possibly be the father of those other people. And it says in verse twelve, and he is also the father of this, and he is also the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's go down to verse sixteen. It says, um, uh, "Let's see." Therefore, the promise comes by faith. So that it may be by grace and may be be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Now, this is really interesting because in verse um, 17 it says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Now... He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the father who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. Now, here's the story of Abraham. It's an amazing story. This says right here, you see in verse 17, it says, the promise, I have made you a father of many nations. That's what God promised to Abraham before he had any children. Abraham was around 100 years old. His wife was around 100 years old. And God said, I'm going to make you father of many nations. Now, anybody would be challenged by a promise like that from God? I would. Because it kind of goes against what circumstances look like, like a lot. It looks, this is one of those things that on the surface, it looks absolutely impossible. But God promised that. And so... And if God promises something and you have faith, you can take it to the bank. So there's the promise of God. And, and then it's kind of interesting in verse 17 because it says, it says, God who gives life to the dead. So it's kind of saying, you know what, if God, sometimes we have to think about that. If God could raise the dead, what, you know, what is too big in your life that he can't do? You know, look at the things that God has done. And I'm saying, is there anything too hard for him? In fact, God even says that. He goes, I'm God. Is there anything too hard for me? There's this verse of scripture that says that. No. Um, it says, and this is kind of cool, it, say, it says that God, uh, in verse 17, it says, and calls things that are not as though they were. Now, this is the funny thing because what happened was God came to Abraham and he said, Yes, you're going to be. And they, you know, back. Back in these times, too, it was way more of a curse to not have children. I mean, today people, like, opt for that, but it's not like in those days people opted. Like, I don't think, I think I just don't feel like having children. I mean, it just was, it was, it was, it, it was a huge, considered a huge curse, and people thought that God didn't love you and, you know, all kinds of things. So there was a lot of, besides just missing the blessing of having children, there was just a lot of, you know, shame and everything else attached to it. And so they really wanted to have children, and it looked impossible. And they, you know, and so God comes along and promises this. But what He says to Abraham is He tells Abraham, He goes, "I'm going to change your name." He goes, "Your name's Abram," but you know, um, and I'm going to change it to Abraham, which means father of nations. Now that meant Abraham had to go around introducing himself <laughs> as. Hi, I'm Abraham, father of nations. How do you do? I'm Abraham, father of nations. How many kids do you have? Well, none. <laughs> and he's a hundred, so it's not like they're gonna they're they're not like gonna say, Oh, are you and your wife planning on having any? <laughs> You're usually not asking hundred-year-olds if they're planning to have children. You know, is that in your future? Kind <laughs> of see kids in your future? So Think about the faith that it took for Abraham to tell people that's his new name and to introduce himself and to say that. But it's talking about the fact that God calls things that be not as though they were, you know, because it wasn't the case, but God's calling it that. Um, Okay, in verse 18, it's kind of cool. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. Now, so shall your offspring be. Abraham, do you know how many people are the offspring of Abraham? A whole lot of people. Because Abraham is, his offspring between um, Isaac and Ishmael are all the Jews and all the Arabs. That's a lot of people that came out of one man. And one man that had no children at 100 years old. Now, that was recorded back in the days of Moses, you know, cuz the whole story of Abraham was recorded, God gave it by revelation in Genesis, way before this actually happened. So, when Moses is saying this and writing down that Abraham's going to be the father of many nations, there are there are whole big nations that were very powerful back in those days that don't exist today and that nobody's even heard of hardly unless you're a scholar and, and studying, you know, cultures that have disappeared like the Elamites. You know, seriously, there, there's like lots of cultures that were massive, successful peoples that are absolutely wiped off the face of the earth and nobody's even heard of them. So here we go, is that we've got the prophecy in Genesis that says that this one man, this one couple and that his offspring are going to be the father that he will be the father of nations and I'll tell you that's a prophecy that came to pass and it was recorded it was it was recorded thousands of years before it actually happened and before and before it was seen anyway shows you when god makes a promise you know doesn't matter what things look like in verse um, in 19 it says without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Reality's your friend, people. You know? So his faith, because I'm telling you, this wasn't positive thinking that got him there. His body, he faced the reality. He wasn't, you know, he, you know, he wasn't just saying positive affirmations in the mirror. He was looking at the fact that he faced his own powerlessness. Oftentimes, for having faith, we need to see where we're powerless. We need to see that we can't do it ourselves. He looked and got that there was absolutely zero doo dah that he could do to make it happen. Not going to happen with him. Not going to happen with Sarah. It's just like... Not going to happen. And... So he's looking at that, and his faith actually came out of connecting with his own powerlessness is where that came from. Now, interestingly enough, the vow of circumcision, because he came to the place that he had faith in the promise, and then God said, to seal this promise that I gave you, I want you to circumcise yourself. Now, not a fun thing for an adult male, probably, I'm just guessing, to uh, give yourself a circumcision as a grown person. But what it symbolized, it's weird that what had happened is the people had turned it into that this, that you you do the circumcision and that's where your righteousness is. Really? Cutting off foreskin makes you righteous? Does that make any sense at all? How could that be? I mean, that would be a weird thing for God to make that rule up. It's just sort of like an arbitrary, like, Yeah, you know, you want to be righteous before me? It's like, you might as well have God just go dance, monkey dance. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, that's about as foolish as it is, you know, for God to go, this is how you're righteous. But what it was is if you read in the Old Testament, it was a covenant that actually represented that he could connect to the deadness and powerlessness of his flesh. Because you figure, if you're cut, look, come on, foreskin's pretty useless, right? As far as like, you, and it symbolized that, if you think about it. it the symbol was, it's not going to be in your flesh. It's not in your power. Think about how often that Abraham, because of, because nobody was circumcised back then. It's not like it is today, where that's kind of, you know, more, um, more widespread. You know, it's, it's pretty commonplace these days. It's not so shocking. Nobody was circumcised back then. So the fact that that he had this covenant with God—how often do you think that that circumcision reminded him of the vow between him and God and the promise and his faith? You know, it was kind of a pretty vivid reminder that this isn't going to be through me or of my flesh. So it's weird how you know, how turned around it kind of got to be to mean just the opposite of what really God's heart and intention was of going, it's not going to come from you, Abraham. I know for me a lot of times when I think about it, I have so much of an easier time having faith when I feel myself as being powerless. I struggle if I think I can do it. You know, I can wear myself out coming up with my own solutions and answers and whatever. It's hard for me to let go sometimes. When I can, when there's things I could see that I can do, um, so it helps me so much to go. Wow, there's just nothing I can do here. This is so out of my hands, you know. Uh, in in faith, sometimes we got to get our powerlessness, even when there are things that we can do, you know. In some ways, um. Okay, so he looked. So he got the reality of his body and Sarah's in verse 20 it says yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God wow now it's kind of interesting it says like, can did not waver wow I don't think I've experienced that a lot in my life in some ways I guess yeah I don't know I think about it because I always think I waver you know I mean in my experience I'm like wow not waver. I would say that there's probably a few things. Like sometimes, you know, single people that I know and love and they're going to get married, I don't waver in my faith about that. <laughs> oh, I found that funnier than you guys did. <laughs> but anyway, there's a few things. <laughs> I'm just thinking the areas that I have some faith that is not wavering. But um, anyway, Uh but it's kind of cool, like that. That was the place that um, that he was so sure of God's promise. He, he, for one, he got if God promised it. Not everything's available from God. I'm sorry. It's not like you can come up with anything you want. God's not a genie. You know, God is not genie at your command. So it's not like everything that you want is available from God. But if God promises something, that's something that you can have faith and take to the bank. So he's looking at. He did not. Uh, um, waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. And it says, and gave glory to God. And I was thinking about how much when I am really giving glory to God and spending time in being thankful and worshiping God, when that's my heart, how much my faith really grows. You know, I just get it. It's really easy for me to see that God will be there for me and his power and willingness when I'm in that state of just being in the presence and glorifying God and making room for that in my life. It says in verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. So he got the two areas to have faith in, like I said, is that God is willing and God is able. The promise tells you that God's willing. If God promised it, he's willing. And that the other part was he was fully persuaded that God was also able to do what he had promised to do. Um... Yeah. It says in verse 22. It says this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him were written Um wait, when I were written uh were written not, sorry, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So ultimately, as far as the faith that comes Righteousness that comes by faith, it is not, again, going back to the grace thing and, so, and the part that faith plays. Faith is not earning things. Faith is no more than trusting that God is good for what he promised. It's going, Lord, I believe. I, I, I'm, my heart is open to receive the gift that you've given me. And specifically in this, in the context of righteousness, is receiving the gift of Jesus Christ and what he did and what he accomplished. I feel like, you know, my born-again birthday was February 11th, yeah, 1974, so, and I'll never forget that day. I, it's been, you know, a, a long time ago, but I remember in some ways, I remember what it meant to me, like yesterday, and I like to remember it often. You know, it, it does my heart good to remember often, because I really believe with all of my heart that the thing that changes people's lives more than anything that I've ever seen ever is receiving Jesus Christ as Lord. I'll tell you, I was I was atheist. I was so so hard hearted, um, you know, my whole life, and was raised, you know, to be very very cynical and probably with a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness. Um. But I'll to really get and i've seen it work for other people it's not just me that's tasted this is is the realization and some people got say you know like don't have as much of a clear realization of accepting jesus christ as their lord you know some people maybe believed it young but i think there's also something to coming to the place that you really believe it later in life and that and what that does for your heart and life but I believe that the biggest thing that's ever changed my life and it literally saved my life because uh, my life was in so much pain and so much misery and so out of control that I thought about killing myself every day of my life. You know, it, it, and, but until, until that jet day that somebody just told me, somebody just said, Jesus Christ loves you just the way you are and that he gave his life and laid down his life and paid the price for you. Just as if it was only you. And it doesn't matter. You have, And he, and they told me. It just, I don't know. It really spoke to me. There's nothing you have to do to deserve it. Nothing you have to do to earn it. He loves you right now that much. And he gave his life for you in that. And God, I just, I, seriously, I went home and I think I cried all night. I still. I still cry when I think of that. Because it's not... Like, you clean it all up, and then he loves you. Like, seriously, this really is in your darkest, darkest place. You know, I, I look at the, you know, it's weird. Like, I, I, I look at my life in so many ways. Like, even just one instance, or there's so many stories and, and images of things that I'm so ashamed and that were so dark, you know, in my life. And, you know, besides all the, the craziness as far as acting out, you know and with sex i was just angry and bitter you know some of the ugliness i've gotten so dark sometimes just on envy you know where i've just was consumed just spent like hours and hours and hours obsessing with anger and bitterness and envy towards other people that's that's dark that's ugly this is this is these are not my most attractive moments and yet like in that state jesus saw all of it and that's when he reached for me. That's, that's when Jesus reaches for all of us, is in that darkness, in that despair. And it doesn't take works. There's nothing. There's no, you don't have to do anything. But that's how much I've never know, knew a love like that ever, and I've never known a love like that since. You know, It changed my life forever. You know, I never, ever laughed or smiled growing up as a kid. Until I made Jesus Christ Lord in my life. It was seriously an overnight miracle as far as what it did for for me. I wanted to live. For the first time ever, I really wanted to live. I loved my life. I embraced it. I was excited about life and living. Um, because I felt loved in a way that I had never felt loved before that would never, ever go away. That's righteousness by faith. Faith. All faith. Faith is is what God gave us so that we can just receive the gift it's saying yes to the gift that God gave. there's no earning it, no working it, no nothing it's just saying yes I want that. Lord I believe I am willing to receive It's why Romans melts my heart it's why I get that we have to keep rem- it's, uh, we have to just keep remembering this. you know it's like I don't ever want to forget where I came from I do. I do, but you know what, my life is not nearly as exciting or fulfilling, you know, just acting like as if my life has always been this good, you know, or if I start relating to it in a way like I deserve all this good stuff, you know, kind of thing, um, But it says in Romans, we read a couple weeks ago, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. What that means is that God gives us his love, his unconditional goodness, and his kindness, and does unconditional, and that makes us want to change our lives. Like that the desire for changing our lives comes from feeling that unconditional love and that it's amazing and freeing and liberating. And then then the response is, I want to live for you. You know, Um, I love this book of Romans. Anyway, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I love that we can have access to you. I love that there's no walls that you put between you and us and that you are always with your arms outstretched. And Lord Jesus, I am so thankful um, that you fought for me. My life did change the day that I met you. And I can't understand it. I can't you know when I look at the gift that you gave and the sacrifice that you made in thinking about all of us, and that truly Lord, that you were willing, you know even if even if it was just for one of us to go there to the cross. Lord, I love that we don't have to earn it. I love that it's a free gift and um, and that you're so forced, that you're so in our corner and always will be, that we don't have to even earn your being in our side. You know, it's not like we have to be good little boys and girls for for you to care for us, for you to be fighting for us, for you to... Before for us. And the grace really means that you are for us and that you are for us in every way. Lord, I want to just respond by living for you. It's There's just no other way to live. Man, my life sucked before, and, and life with you is amazing and wonderful in every single way. Help us to see your grace more. I know it's hard to receive sometimes. I know we want to push it away and want to do it ourselves. Help us to lay down our works and receive it and, you know, and have faith like our father Abraham. Anyway, Lord, I thank you for these things and for this night. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.
1: Bible who probably would have really appreciated our dating conference, (laughs) so we're going to read her story tonight. Um, It's in, if you guys can turn with me to John 4, and in verse 7. And this is a a really good, juicy story, it has a lot in it, but I'm going to try to read it quickly, um, but we're going to read another really good story tonight. Everybody there? Okay. In verse 7, John 4, 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And then, so this is just kind of, uh, this is a Samaritan woman, and back in the day, uh, so Jesus was at this well, and he was by himself, and, I, you know, just doing kind of like the research on the culture, and, um, men wouldn't really talk to women alone. So it was kind of an odd uh, situation that Jesus would be talking alone with this woman. And so, um, actually, but I I skipped through, but it it says that it was noontime when this woman went to the well. And so, also at noon time it's really hot you know it's it's the middle east like they don't usually go and get water at that time of day and usually the women went together like the well was like the hot spot you know the the gossip spot for all of these women but this woman went alone she went at noon so it signifies like she she uh she purposely went by herself like she avoided the crowds pretty much and so um, so then she, you know, she goes on to say, you know, like, why would I, you know, Jews and Samaritans don't even talk. So why would you ask me for something? So, you know, Jesus responds with his, you know, poetic words that he comes up with. Like I don't even really know what he's saying right here, you know, but it sounds nice. So he continues on though. It says Jesus answered in verse thirteen. Sorry, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks. Th- the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep draw- coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. Well, actually, I'll stop there. Um, so when Jesus is saying everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty, again, he's basically saying like, when you look into worldly things, it's never going to satisfy you. You're going to keep going back to these things, and you're never going to be satisfied. Your thirst is never going to be quenched. But he's saying, when you come to me, you're never going to be thirsty again. And so that's how it still works with Jesus. So this is this woman's testimony of when she met Jesus Christ. So, uh, so he goes on to say, he told her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And so when I, I actually really love this story because when I first read this story, I was like, yeah, that's me. Like, I felt like the woman with five husbands husbands living with a man that was not my husband. Like, I had a bad I had bad relationships after bad relationships and unhealthy, abusive relationships, and I felt really ashamed. And so really putting in the context of this story, like this woman, I just, putting myself into her shoes, I just get that she felt really ashamed. Like she wanted to be alone because she felt so ashamed. She was ashamed that she had five husbands. She was ashamed that she was living with a man who was not her husband. And that day, you know that was that you don't, you didn't do that you know and also in that time um, that meant that five men actually divorced her and that day women couldn't file for divorce only men could do that and so that meant five men divorced her left her and then the man that was she was currently living with didn't even want to marry her you know so I get that she was like she felt unwanted. You know, she felt lonely. She felt deserted, you know. And so she's thirsty. She's like, give me this water. I get the faith and the the desperateness. And so um, this story actually really reminded me just in the heat of day and having to go out and do something that was tough, I um, started talking to this homeless guy by my job. And he – and I'm uh, I'm guessing now because he – probably for the last year I've been seeing him and then after over over the summer he's just like his his skin is like like leather he's just super super tan you know but his his skin looks like leather and when I first met him though he he didn't look like that he just you know had regular skin (laughs) you know what I mean and so um so I've been talking to him like I'm just I wanted to – I haven't asked him to go to church yet, but um, I I wanted to be somebody different, you know. Um, Everybody else just kind of, you know, looks the other way, pretends like he's not there, you know. They don't want him to – you know, for him to ask for money. Um, But I – the first time I met him, actually, he told me a joke. He's like, "Hey, hey, like, you know." And so he tells me a joke, and I start laughing. You know, I like to laugh, right? So it's kind of working out. So, <laughs> so, um, so now I always wave hi. I always say hi to him. Um, you know, I ask him like, "What's your story?" Like, "How come you're out here?" You know, and and I chat with him when I can when the lights um, red. Sometimes my light's green, so I don't have a chance to talk to him. But, um, but I felt like. But one day I was like, oh, well, I wonder if I should stop saying hi because maybe he thinks, maybe he's going to get mad, like I'm not giving him money. So, um, so then I was like, well, maybe should I give him money or should I not give him money? What's his lifestyle like, you know? So I started thinking about all these different things. And, um, and, you know, and it's just in a matter of seconds. But I, I just felt in my heart, like, like who are you to judge you know, and I just, in that moment, I'm just like, wow, like, who am I to judge and, and wonder what his lifestyle is like? And that leads me back to this woman and how I read this story. And when I first read this story, I felt like, wow, Christ does really love me. He meets me where I'm at. You know, he met this woman at the well on purpose. It actually says, like, he, he, he says he had to go to Samaria. And I think that he had to go there because he wanted to be there for that woman and meet her where she's at. And Christ did that for me. And, you know, so I just felt really just sad in my heart. Like, I don't know this man, you know, I'm just as guilty as he is, you know, like we're all sinners. We all fall short. And that's what went through my head. And so, um, so I, we will go through the rest of the story next time because it's a really good story. Um, but actually, we'll just finish it really quick. So <laughs> so I don't have to come back to it. Um, so verse 29, it says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So she wasn't even, and like, it says, could this be the Christ? She wasn't even sure if it was Jesus or not, but she was like, he told me everything I ever did, you know? I imagine this woman felt so loved that this man would go out of his way and talk to this woman and say, hey, I have something that you want, you know? I, you don't have to keep on coming back to this well and be thirsty. I have lasting water. And she went to her town and was like, hey, this guy might be Christ. I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> check it out, you know? And so uh, in verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many became believers. And so I, I just love, like, this, this lady was like, the best witnesser. I mean, she just came to Christ. She just met Christ, and her whole town was already believers, you know? And so, to me, that really shows. Like, we don't have to know all the Bible, and, you know, this lady didn't even know if if he was really Jesus, but she had that boldness. Like, something that he said really affected her, her heart, and she wanted to go and share it, you know? And so, I really want to be like her and just be bold, like, Christ changed my life, like, he knows all my sins, and yet still loves me, and still wants to, you know, quench my thirst, you know, so I want to do that for other people, and so, um, so I, uh, that's all I have for tonight, I hope that, you know, that we can all just, you know, sometimes I, I get discouraged because I don't have all the answers, or, or, um, I just think that I don't have what people are looking for, but we do have Christ and we do have something. Like I read one of Nancy's uh, uh, one of, I I think a comment on Facebook or, or the Evite about the dating workshop, about how this workshop is to, to that, you know, people are coming to be healed and for relationships that people are, are really desiring, you know, but, it's for healing, you know, and I'm just like, wow, like, I'm super honored to be a part of a church that offers something like this, you know, that offers healing, because dating is a huge thing, you know, it's, I was talking to somebody earlier, and she was saying that she works with, um, with, uh, women that are abused, and I'm like, wow, like, you know, that, that's a part of it. Like, people are, are abused out there, you know, in their relationships and think it's normal. You know, they take in all of this abuse physically, mentally, whatever it is, you know. And, but there's so many people are, that are hurting and thirsty out there, you know. And it's – we have something that, you know, could change their life, you know. And so I just am super – that's why I'm excited about the workshop because, you know, we can all have a taste of – what it feels like to be healed and to share with others what this feels like you know so that's it for tonight Um, I think we have some more announcements about this weekend and some other upcoming events